Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Playbook. This week's guest is none other than Amanda Muner. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, second time, right? Yep, yep. It's been a while. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, the first one you did with Paul, so it's glad to have you back. Yeah, yeah. I got some new information for you guys for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Can't wait. So let's jump right into it. Uh, first thing I want to kind of do is just for the audience to kind of take a trip down memory lane and, you know, kind of go back down to when you were debating to get into real estate and what kind of thoughts were going through your head and, and making you thinking about the real estate industry or becoming a realtor? So it was my family friend. Um, she was the realtor for my parents and she owned the horse stables that we kept our horses at. And she was like, you know, you have a great personality. You should think about real estate. Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't go to college because I had no idea what I wanted to major in. So I was like, yeah, I think I'll probably try this. And it and I loved I remember like very vividly touring homes with my family when I was a kid and I That's loved awesome. running like you know running around the vacant homes. I just liked the feel of that this is where somebody's going to spend their life, make their memories and stuff like that. So um, that was an important aspect to me was just touring the homes and I love I love houses, you know, it's so, mm -hmm. so important. That's where you build your life. So um, she told me I should get into it and she was my mentor when I first started um, and I was just I really didn't know what to expect. I just thought, I kind of saw it as what everybody else did is like, you know, this is really fun, easy paycheck sort of type of thing. Yeah. It's not what it is. You know, you're actually helping people. You make a big difference. There's a lot that you can do. There's so much knowledge to it. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool thing to get into and a lot of learning experiences for sure. Yeah. 100%. And I mean, I think a lot of people get that kind of jaded, um, a vision of what real estate's going to be. You know, you watch one of these reality TV shows and mm -hmm. you go show a million dollar listing and all of a sudden you're getting a $30,000 paycheck and, and everybody's you know, happy. That easy. You yeah. think everybody's happy. And no stress, no yeah. struggle. The deal's that. always close. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, obviously now that you're in it, it doesn't, yeah. seldomly happens that way, if at all. Yeah. And so. people think that you can work on your own time and it's really not, you know, you're working on everybody else's time. So. 100%, 100%. Got to be flexible. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So what, but prior to kind of getting real estate, so you kind of, you know, with the horse stables, kind of the woman, I guess, who was kind of boarding the horses that kind of got your wheels spinning about real estate. You obviously were touring the homes as a child with your family when you were finding, you know, the next home for to kind of reside in. What were, before getting into real estate, you know, not going to college, what were some of the professions or jobs that you had prior to becoming a realtor? So I only worked in food service. Okay. Um, I worked at Panera Bread and Dairy Queen, and I was a manager at both. And... Um, I just really liked serving people, but also where they would actually appreciate my value. So instead of trading my time for money, I was like, I want to, the more value I bring, you know, the more I'm going to help people. That's, that's the most important part to me. So 100%. And we do find, you know, there's a couple professions where we find that a lot of agents excel in. One is teachers, what, for whatever reason, the teaching background, I think it's the structure of the classroom, um, the discipline of sticking to a schedule, time management, but also you know, working with buyers and sellers can come sometimes you got to have a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of working with kids, yeah, teachers are able to develop absolutely. that. But the other one's hospitality yeah. industry. So me and my wife both came from hospitality backgrounds. And it's just having that level of customer service that, you know, almost like trying to give that world-class treatment where, hey, this is, uh, even though you're kind of going to the restaurant every day to kind of work, this might be their anniversary, their birthday, and you want to make it memorable for them. So you're always kind of going above and beyond to kind of give them that level of service. So, absolutely, absolutely. And were those some of the skills that kind of you think you developed that made it easier for you to transition and get into production quicker? 
compared to other agents who didn't have that background? Yeah, yeah, like working in service, um, you're not worried about making a sale. You know, you're worried about helping the people. And that's that's the main thing that I think got me any of my sales was that I wasn't a salesperson. I wasn't trying to sell them. I was trying to help them. And, you know, bringing more assistance is what's going to get you something. So really that was the most important part to me is, like you said, learning in service industry how to help somebody. You're not caring about, oh, well, I need to convince them of something. No, you're just there to help. Absolutely. And then as far as your background too, so – with the horses and stuff, so you, were you in competition with it? Was it just kind of joy riding and just ha- owning the horse? So I did a little bit of competition. I did western riding and did barrel racing, and that okay. was a lot of fun just because it's I like adrenaline rushes. I like things that are exciting, and so instead of the slow dressage looking pretty, I wanted to be out there like having good times. So yeah, just kind of getting yeah. rough and dirty and stuff. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. So for the audience out there, like this is new to me. Why don't we talk a little about that? What are those two events that you were kind of doing, the barrels and whatever else that you mentioned, because I'm clueless on that. So barrel racing is, there's three barrels set up in an arena in a triangle pattern, and you just run circles around each one, and it's whoever has the fastest time. Is so it's almost like kind of keeping close as you can to the barrel, and then yes, just pivoting and yes. moving. Yes, if you knock over a barrel, um, it either adds five seconds to your time, which is pretty detrimental because you're running for 15 seconds about. So yeah. you're, it's going to knock you out of it, or you just get eliminated completely. So yeah, you have to run as close as you can, as fast as you can. So I got to think from your background in that too, that probably developed another skill set for you, competition, you know, Mm -hmm. the thrill of competing. So, you know, real estate, we are still customer service, you are helping people, but it's also a sales environment with some level of competition. And that's the thing about real estate is you never know what to expect. And that's a big thing for me. Like before we even started this podcast, I was saying I like unexpected things. I like not knowing, you know, what's going to come next. So I don't start overthinking. So yeah, the barrel racing, like I said, the adrenaline, all of that type of stuff is my favorite. And every transaction in real estate is going to be different. You know, you don't know what to expect. You're going to run into new problems every time. And I love solving problems. So it's my favorite part about real estate is everything's different every day. Yeah, every day. It's not you're not sitting at a desk, you know, with their mm-hmm. task list, going through the same punch list type of thing. And also, too, from people, the limited knowledge I have from people who are involved with horses, whether it's, you know, just as pets or owning them on a ranch or doing some kind of competition is the horses have strong personality. So it also teaches you as a kind of human component, not interacting with other humans, but just interacting with a strong personality. And I'm assuming when you're doing these races, keeping up tame, guiding them to the goal of trying to get that faster speed and competition where real estate, it's completely different. Obviously you're with engaging with humans, interacting with them, but the goal is to obviously make it a smooth process, get to the closing table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to learn, like, exactly every client, every horse, you know, feeling them out, seeing what their likes, what their dislikes are. It's Yeah, it, it all carries over into each other. Absolutely. Sure. So, um, you know, as far as some of the skill sets from your previous occupations that you thought would, you know, help you excel, um, you know, you kind of thought the customer service, getting into the restaurant management, and then with the horseback riding as well. Did you play as far as like sports or anything, any team sports as a kid in high school or? I did. Um, so I did karate for okay. um, eight years and I oh, got wow. my second degree black belt actually at the age of Holy 12. Shit. I didn't know that. <laughs> I did it from, the, from four to 12 years old. And um, that was a big thing that my dad really was like, you know, this is going to show people that you can commit to something. You know, it's a big. 100%. Yeah. So. It, well, you have a lot of discipline you're getting from that. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of it discipline, does. a lot of mental focus. You're kind of. From what I understand, you know, once again, I have limited knowledge, but you're having to break through mental barriers or ceilings to kind of get to the next level and showing yourself you can. So it almost, I would assume, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as a child, you know, growing up, 
you're developing self-confidence and within yourself as you go up each degree or each belt. Absolutely, it the, builds fortitude for sure, just to make sure that you commit to, like I said, your goals and that you can achieve these things that you really want to achieve. And so it was, it formed my brain in a really good way um, to be doing that. I also did a softball and I played piano. Okay, and softball, so you have the team camaraderie, mm -hmm. which real estate is obviously, you're as the agent, but working with the team, so you're able to develop those skills. You know, with the common goal of sometimes you have to make a sacrifice for the betterment of the team. And here we're always kind of helping each other to make sure we win, which is, you know, making sure the client gets what they need and Absolutely. has that smooth process. And then, you know, kind of bringing it back um, to the karate, too. I just think that not only the self-discipline, but also it, from what I've noticed, people who do martial arts, especially at a high level, are typically more regulated with emotions Meaning, you, I've, I've noticed that they don't kind of have extreme ups, extreme downs, where it kind of teaches them to, I don't know, just be more mentally clear mm -hmm. of kind of what's mm -hmm. going on, so there's no over or under reaction. Yeah, and I think the what you just said, mental, is so important. People forget that their their brain is a muscle too, and yeah. if you're not working it out, it's going to get weak. So, reading um, anything that like you like you just said, karate. You know, whatever you can do to strengthen your brain is going to be super beneficial in all aspects of your life. So, well, well and too, I mean, for your whole life, you're constantly setting new goals, go, you know, exceeding challenges and hurdles, which is going to, you know, be a huge self confidence booster. Where, yes, it, you know, that really carries over in the workplace because obviously, if it's hard if you don't believe in yourself or to get other people to believe in you or trust you with that process. So, a lot of things that you were involved in, I think, helped you develop into. Um, a more successful realtor because you have a lot of these traits and characteristics that you know you're going to need if you want to succeed in this industry. Yeah, I think it's really important to be well-rounded and try lots of different things. Like you Absolutely. said, the karate is you know self-improvement. The softball, you're working with a team environment and stuff like that. The piano, you know, you're really just honing in on a skill and trying to learn something. It takes patience. So yeah, it's good to do a lot of stuff. One hundred percent. So let's switch gears here for a bit. What is so obviously you're touring homes with the family, you know, finding the next family home, you're loving the process, get excited to kind of see where you're going to, you know, so the roots of your family, the next chapter, and you're, you know, you have this vision of, you know, real estate's going to be easy, just, you know, based on maybe thoughts you had or what you saw on TV. What's the one thing that happened when you first got into real estate that you didn't expect or anticipate? Um, so when I was doing showings, um, I, you know, I'd show houses, they wouldn't want to make an offer, and then sometimes they would ghost me or something, and I would be like, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. um, or if I submitted the offer, and then let's say they wanted to cancel over something that mm -hmm. didn't seem like a big deal. And I was, so trying to get people to think in the same mindset that I did and make sense of things, and also I had to put myself in their shoes and think, okay, how would I feel if I was the buyer? Because mm -hmm. I'm looking at it from an outside perspective, so I need to put myself in the situation. So. Um, just remembering that people don't know as much as you think they might know about the mm -hmm. field and, you know, buying the pro the whole process in itself. So um, just the knowledge that people might have was something that really shocked me as I thought people knew more about real estate than they actually know. So mm -hmm. it's important to pretend that, you know, they don't know anything, pretend you're teaching a child, like lay out everything for them. And then they'll, you know, you'll learn, you can pick up based on that what they actually do know. Yeah. So what it's hearing is kind of take, don't take for granted what they do or don't know. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to kind of go in. With the understanding, all right, I'm going to start from square one, go over like real estate 101 with them, anticipating that they don't know anything. If they do know some things or I can kind of tell they're catching on or say, hey, I already got that, then you're kind of accelerating what you're going to present them kind of at that showing, buyer's mm -hmm. consultation, whatever it might be, 
to kind of bring them up to speed and to make sure that they're comfortable writing an offer when it kind of gets to that point. Yeah, so the knowledge that people have is important and I guess um, the brokerage, like so I thought that all brokerages were pretty much the same, that mm -hmm. whatever you, wherever you went, it was gonna be, you're making sales no matter what. And that's not really the case. So I, I tell people that when you get into real estate, the support that you have is really, really important. So knowing people, um, you know, that's the main thing. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. So right now, obviously with real estate, you've been doing it quite some time, what do you have, three years? Mm -hmm. So three years in real estate, every year getting better, your production going up, you know, building your database, um, developing your skills, you know, becoming better on all aspects. What are some things right now that you're doing for yourself to ensure continued success in the marketplace? Uh, like I just said, following up with people is the most important thing. So mm -hmm. um, letting everybody that I know know that I'm happy to help them. Even right. if they don't use me, whatever the case is, I still am there to help in this field because like I said, I got into it so I could assist people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, that's the main thing is just like telling everybody you know, hey, I'm in this, come to me and I'm happy to help no matter what. So just kind of letting it know out there, be a little bit more communicative, let people know exactly what you're doing rather than kind of being like, the silent realtor, like going exactly. to social events. That's and the, that's the most important talking. thing is not getting out there and saying I'm a realtor and then not doing any actions to follow that up. You have to actually, you know, make the correct actions every day and say, hey, okay, what do I need to do today to find a new client? What do I need to do to help somebody? What do I need to do to learn more about my marketplace? Things like that. Yeah. And one of the biggest struggles that I see with agents um, across the board, you know, regardless of kind of what's on their plate, obviously some people are going to have more obligations and responsibilities than others but as a work-life balance. What are some things that you do to help create a work-life balance where you know you, you and I know there's gonna be points where you kinda have like a little bit of burnout, stress, fatigue, whatever it might be, but what are some benchmarks or maybe governors you put in place for your life to create that work-life balance? Um, I definitely set aside time that I say this is my time and if somebody asks me to do something at that moment, unless it's very, very urgent, I'm not gonna do it. So mm -hmm. I'll just set aside me time, which is usually in the evening, you know, around like seven or eight o'clock at night is mm -hmm. because that's when typically things aren't really going on. There's not mm -hmm. so much out there. Um, obviously if someone's working during the day and they're not available until that time, I'll make exceptions. But most of the time setting a, like a block of time that is yours and no one can take from you um, is a good one. And that, yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just the, make sure you have that set time where nobody can step on your time. Yeah, so it sounds like just, you know, being militant almost with a calendar and having a structure put in place. You're going to have like, you know, look at a calendar as a blank canvas, whether you're using like a, an old school calendar, a day planner where you're writing it in or you're using something like a Google calendar through Gmail. But like I, I just envision it as you might not do it. But what I'm envisioning is like time block, like seven p.m. on if I don't have anything going I'm blocking that for me time and then on rare occasions where somebody might need to um, need an appointment or it's an emergency question then obviously you'll take care of their needs but for the most part you're kind of leaving that time for yourself family relationships whatever it is kind of outside of the real estate world so you can kind of decompress and have that time exactly exactly yeah okay that makes perfect sense and there's a lot of agents out there you know that you know, are thinking they're on the fence right now, thinking about getting licensed. Maybe they've been licensed one or two years, aren't having the level of success that they've wanted, or maybe you know they they had a good run, they've been in for three or four years, and now they're noticing, hey, real estate's not um, my sales and my success isn't what it used to be. What would be some advice that you would give uh, to a struggling agent or an agent who is considering getting licensed and getting into real estate? Like, what would be the one thing you would tell them to focus on? I'd say find a mentor that is 
actively doing what you want to do. So just because somebody's been in the business for 30 years, but they're not actually making sales, I wouldn't probably use them as a, as a mentor. You know, mm -hmm. use somebody who is has the goals that you want to achieve and has already achieved them. Um, so like, and make sure that you're the same kind of person as they are, because if you're following someone like my, one of my first mentors was from New York, she was very salesy and that worked for her. She knew what to do. She knew what to say. And it, unscripted. Yeah. And it fit her personality and she would tell me to do the same things and it just didn't, didn't come off genuine because it wasn't my personality. It wasn't how I wanted to do things. So mm -hmm. try to find either a company or a specific mentor that aligns with you and then go with them and, you know, go from there. 100%. Yeah. A couple of things that I kind of want to just touch on here in closing that you brought up that I've emphasized over the years is one is, you know, when you're studying under somebody and, and I agree with you in my career, I've done the same is you want to mentor under what I call a practitioner other than a theorist. And in your case, you want an active practitioner, like somebody who's actively practicing, not somebody who is, Hey, I've done it before, but I've, I've been out of the game for like five years mm -hmm. where a lot of companies, you know, they'll hire management or leadership where I call it, you know, they're theorists. They might've read a book. They might have some sales background, but it's not in real estate. And they'll theorize, hey, based on this book, I know what you're supposed to do one to two, but unless you've done it, you know that there's 10 things in between one and two that that person can guide you, but also demonstrate, hey, Amanda, let me show you how I overcame that because I just dealt with that two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah and and that's very important. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing, um, another thing that I constantly harp on here and kind of, you know, we'll talk to the agents such as yourself, you know, when we're having trainings and meetings, is the difference between scripting and dialogue. I, I'm a to you scripting does not work for me um i i sound robotic i hate using words or framing things and you know in a too passive manner in a too aggressive manner that wouldn't match my tonality like it wouldn't even sound right mm -hmm. because that's not my language pattern that's not how yeah. i talk so i always emphasize the dialogue mm -hmm. like you don't have to be scripted you don't have to have a kind of like this pit bull mentality i gotta stick to this and then if like you're the conversation goes off here you gotta start short circuiting because you don't have a, it's not yeah. in the script type of thing but it's just you understanding the dialogue, like getting that mentorship, understanding by experiencing, you know, why certain things happen. How do I give the advice to overcome these challenges or to, you know, give advice and consult my buyers and sellers to move through these obstacles and bring to the closing table. And I just need to learn the dialogue, but I need to say it in my own words and convey it in the way that I'd normally talk rather than, hey, I got to memorize the script. Absolutely. You want to be focused on how to help them and their problem and what they're saying to you, not what do I need to remember to say. And you don't want to be focused on that. You know what I'm saying? 100%. Well, we greatly appreciate, Amanda, your time. Uh, make your time this week for this week's episode of the Real Estate Playbook. And for any uh, buyer or seller out there in the Tampa Bay marketplace, we're going to post all this information on our social media sites as well. But why don't you give the audience uh, the best number to reach you on? or the best and the best email address. So for anybody out there looking to buy, sell Tampa Bay market, whether it's Pasco, Pinellas, Hillsborough County, you know, where, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So my number is 813-995-5719. Um, my email is amanda at 54realty.com. And my social medias are all just my name. It's Amanda, M-E-U-N-I-E-R. So you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, you know, all those on there. Perfect. Well, we greatly appreciate and uh, we greatly appreciate having you for this week's podcast. And we thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Real Estate Playbook. Mm -hmm.